0: must be determined to live out our calling, we must choose. The Spirit of God will never come upon us to move us toward transformation apart from the participation of our will.
1: Welcome to Living a Legacy, featuring the Bible teaching ministry of Crawford Lawrence. Well, today we continue our series titled, His Church, based on the New Testament book of Colossians. We're learning from the Apostle Paul the things that should identify us as true followers of Jesus. In the last two broadcasts, Crawford explained the evils of legalism and how we're to keep our eyes on Jesus and not on an improper motivation to appear more, quote-unquote, spiritual than others. So far, this series has taught us what matters most, our incomparable Christ and giving all for our Savior's cause. If this is your first visit with us, a bit of background. Dr. Crawford Loritz has dedicated over 50 years of his life to Christian ministry, serving with Campus Crusade for Christ and in church planting. He recently retired as Senior Pastor of Fellowship Bible Church in Roswell, Georgia, serving there for 15 years. Crawford now heads the Christian Leadership Mentoring Ministry known as Beyond Our Generation. Well, today's message looks at a choice we must make. Will we be passive or active in our approach to God's grace? Our text is Colossians chapter 3, verses 1-17, through 17. Colossians 3, 1-17. Let's gather around this passage and see what we can learn from the Apostle Paul. Here's Crawford Loretz on Living a Legacy.
0: Let me just connect some dots here. There is a long passage that we're going to go through, and as a preacher, I sometimes struggle a little bit. Uh, I don't like breaking up a thought, and there's a central thought, even though it's 17 verses in chapter 3, it's one, it's one thought, and so I'm going to walk through that, and uh, hopefully we won't be here all day, obviously, but, but this, is, uh, this is a very important section of, of, of Col- well, the whole book of Colossians is important, but this is, is a transition section in the book of Colossians, and let me just back up a little bit and, and sort of review the book of Colossians as we've been saying here is about it's about Christ the head of the church thus we've we've entitled the series His Church a companion book to the book of uh, Colossians is the book of Ephesians the book of Ephesians talks about uh, the church the body of Christ Colossians talks about Christ the head of the body and so uh, they are companion they are companion books In the writings of Paul, and hang in there with me because I'm going someplace with this. In the writings of Paul, one of the things is a signature about how he writes is that if you read any of his epistles, any of his letters, typically, there's a few exceptions, but typically the first half or first large portion of the book is doctrine, where he's unpacking ideas and thoughts and theological construct. We see this here in Colossians chapters 1 and 2. And the second half of, his, of the book is on responsibility or duty. And we're, so we're seeing this right now. Chapter 3 marks a change in, in the way, if you read Colossians chapters 1 and 2, there are some heavy theological constructs and thoughts that he's unpacking there. And now you get to chapter 3 and 4, it's how to apply these things. In other words, what to do about these things. And that's the way he writes here. Now, I, I have to press into something here because what I'm getting ready to say here might sound like a bit of a contradiction to what I said last week. Last week, we talked about the last two paragraphs of chapter 2. And although the word grace is not mentioned in those two paragraphs, it is, it is, it is a great explanation and exposition, if you will, on grace. On grace. Now when you get to chapter 3, you're going to scratch your head if you have a definition that grace means no rules, or grace means no responsibilities, if that's your definition of grace, this is going to give you a migraine, it's going to, this is going to upset you, because that's not what grace is. Grace and legalism are are more difficult to define than you might think. That's the reason why your garden variety definitions of it, it leaves a little something out. Typically, when you say, what is legalism? Legalism is a bunch of rules and regulations. Well, not necessarily so. Then someone says, well, grace is the absence of rules and regulations. No, 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 not necessarily so. What makes legalism, legalism and grace, grace is a matter of motivation. It is not just what you do or what you don't do, it is why you do it. If you have rules and regulations thinking that those rules and regulations are gonna make, is gonna make God love you more, welcome to legalism. However, if you've got rules and regulations and you're doing it from a good place, you're doing it because you feel loved by God, you're embraced by Him, and you want to serve Him and you want to do what is right because of His great love for you, you can have more rules than a legalist, but you are free. It's the motivation. It's the reason why you do it. You see, most of us are more binary than we like to confess. And so it makes it very difficult. And that's the reason why, that's the reasons why sometimes there's theological error with people who pursue a grace path that leads to license. Grace does not mean you can do pretty much what you feel like doing because you're free. That's not grace. That's not grace, that's, that's ugly, that's wrong. Paul said, and, and, and typically he says things like this. So, they, you know, you, you read his writing, and if you have this little binary definition, this is rules, that's legalism; no rules, that's grace, then you're not going to understand what Paul says. You're going to think he's, he's messed up. Romans 12, 1 and 2, he says, I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, appeal to grace and mercy. God's been good. He's been gracious, appealing to their motivation. Then he tells them what to do. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. There's duty. And so they're the responsibilities of grace. Dare I say it? They're even rules of grace. They're rules of grace. Now, we come to chapter, chapter 3, and Paul is talking about holy determination as you read this text. And this is going to disturb some people. I, I do believe that the primary motivation for not only coming to Christ is grace, but by growing in Christ is grace. That is the primary motivation. However, hear me on this. This is not a contradiction of what I just said. There cannot be any overcoming, any victory in a Christian life, any progress in a Christian life apart from holy determination. The Christian life is not passive. It's not passive. This is the reason why I get a little concerned with some people who preach in the name of grace, this sort of passive Christianity. It is not passive. The Christian life is intentional. And that, if, if, you, you just have to, you just have to erase this passage. In fact, you have to erase chapters three and chapter four if you think that the Christian life is passive. Because in this text, there are three paragraphs, and Paul tells us in this passage what to think, what to reject, and what to embrace. And this is masterful when you read this, because he's really talking about our total personality. The total personality is involved in overcoming sin and living a victorious life. That's what he's unpacking here. So he says, he begins at the right place. He does not begin with the will first. Neither does he begin with the emotions first. He begins with the mind first. And that's on purpose because our mind is our soul's eye. All life change originates with decision and determination. You will never change. You will never change. It's primarily based on your feelings. That's the reason why uh, sorrow is not really repentance. You can be sorrowful, you can be weeping, and you can feel bad about your sin, but that's not change. Change takes place up here first, then your will expressed through your emotions. And that's where he's going here. So there is this sense of determination, this sense of drive that we need to have in the Christian life. So... Having said all of that, let's begin at the very, very beginning. Again, Paul's point in Colossians chapter three verses 1 through 17 is that we must be determined to live out our calling. We must choose. And I want to say this again: The spirit of God will never come upon us to move us toward transformation. Apart from the participation of our will. He will not do that apart from the participation of our will. But it first of all begins with our thinking. So verses 1 through 4, he tells us what to think. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Paul makes a transition, and he tells us, okay, this is how you think. The first part of verse 1, he tells us that we are where he is. The expression... Uh, If, then, you have been raised with him is a conditional statement, obviously, in English, but it's also, I think it's a third class conditional statement in Greek, which could have been translated since. He's stating a fact. He's not stating a supposition. He's not postulating a supposition. He's stating a fact. He's saying since, since then, you have been raised with Christ. And the point being this, the very thing that's the first thing out of his mind is that you can't look at your life as a struggling Christian down here trying to make it to heaven. No, 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 no. You have been raised, we have been raised with Christ. And so we need to embrace the reality that we've been raised with him. Now this is literally true. We, we, we have newness of life. And this is echoes of what Paul said in Romans chapter six, verse four. If you're taking notes, you might put that in parentheses. Romans six, verse four, he talks about our identification with Christ, that we've identified with his death and with his burial and with his resurrection. Here he's talking about spiritual baptism and the, and the physical imagery of baptism is, is when you go down in the water, you identify with his death and you come up, you identify with his resurrection. But then there's that little line at the end of verse 4, chapter 6, and he says, so that we might walk in newness of life. Where we are should affect how we live right in this world. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead resides in us. And that's where we are. And that's the way you have to think about your Christianity. The way we think about our Christianity is that we don't fight for victory, we fight from identity, which has been secured victory. We fight from an identity that is lodged in secured victory. So it says, this is the way you need to think. You don't think as victims. You don't empower the sin around you. We're going to get into this in a moment. You don't empower your shortcomings You don't empower your addictions. You are seated with him. Parentheses: eternal life does not begin when you die. It begins when you trust Christ as Savior and Lord. That's when eternal life begins. That's when the shared life of Christ becomes our life. And that power is ours. And then he slides into, um, if this is where we are, then this is the way we should think. And so he commands us to think. He gives two commands relative to our thinking. Look, the second part of verse, verse, verse one, he says, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above. He tells us, "Oh, now, now this, is, this is the reality. Crawford, 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 you are in Christ. You are seated here. That's not metaphor, that's reality. You don't fight for victory, the victory has been accomplished and won. You are with him. So this is what you need to tell your mind. Number one, you need to tell your mind that your moral perspective on life is to bring eternal values into everything that you do and look for that which is enduring. That's what he means by seeking, seeking. The expression seek means to, means to strive earnestly, look for that which is eternal and enduring. He's saying basically that our lives should be dominated by the pattern of heaven. What does that mean? That means that I don't, I don't hitch my sense of well being and joy and fulfillment to anything that's going to perish. How long can you love a house? How long can you love a suit? How long can you love a dress? How, how how long can you love this stuff? How long can you love a job? How long can you love your money? What what is enduring? And what he's saying here is look 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 Colossians so I, I want you to I want you to push back the brush and all of this stuff yeah, yeah, I enjoy life. Yeah, I enjoy the stuff there. But you know, you gotta you gotta seek for the enduring stuff. Everything in this life is gonna go. I mean, your political party, your your favorite candidates, your, your your emphasis, and all of that stuff is gonna be gone. So the question that we have to ask ourselves: if we're seated with him, and we are, then what are we looking for down here? What are we looking for? Then he says, set your mind. Set your mind. Orient your thinking around that which is eternal and enduring. Look for it and set your mind on it. Look for it and set your mind on it. Christians, Christians, Christians are distinctively people who are motivated by that which you cannot feel and touch. We're motivated by the noble, enduring intangibles. We're we're motivated by where we're going. And by the way, that's what brings freshness to where we're living. We're not replicating other worldviews and other, other, other philosophies? We're not replicating that. We're not some little sorry, trying-to-be-sanctified version of materialism. We're focused on that which is enduring. And then he says here, in this whole idea, as he tells us what to think, he says, then therefore rest in your identity. Where do you get that from? That verses 3 and 4. Notice the prepositional phrase. He says, "For you have died." The reason why you need to seek that which is enduring, you realize that you've been raised with him and that's where you're seated and you're looking after the enduring things, you're setting your mind on that. Why? He says, "Well, here you have it. rest in this identity. For number one, you have died." Now what does he mean by that? I'm still very much alive. <laughs> what, what, what does it mean that you? You you have died. We're going to see this in a moment. And uh, what he's referring to is that the moment of salvation, we have been rendered dead to the evils of the flesh. Now, I don't, this is, I struggle with this in preparing this message here because I don't want to get sidetracked in this too much. But through the years, there's been various emphasis here on uh, is there such a thing as an old nature? Uh, Is there such a thing as an old capacity to sin? Uh, There are those who say, and there is this camp that says, according to, quote, Romans 6, that uh, the moment you trust Christ as Savior and Lord, your old nature has been eradicated. You no longer exist. That it's dead. It's not there. Well, if you buy that, then you're going to have really, really a heartburn in these next few verses. Because these next few verses contradicts that conclusion. But you say, well, Paul says that, that you are dead and you, you have died. What does he mean by that? Then why is he saying in the next few moments, you want to hear me talk about put on and put off, put on the old self and put on new self? What, what does he mean by that if that doesn't no longer exist? Some have tried to, tried to explain that, then they come up with all kinds of crazy things and all kinds of conclusions. Well, that just means old programming and new programming and this kind of thing. Well, I, I don't think it means that at all. I wrestled with this many years ago and I was trying to get my arms and heart around this and my mentor, he's with the Lord now, Dr. Stephen Alford helped me tremendously. He wrote a little book called Not I But Christ. And in that book he made this observation which cleared this thing up for me. When Paul writes about being dead, Particularly in Romans 6, when he says, reckon or consider yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to righteousness. When he says that, Paul is writing. Now hear me, hear me, hear me on this. This is very important. He's writing from his knowledge of Roman crucifixion. And here's the insight. Did you know, did you know when the Romans signed the death certificate when someone was crucified? You know when he signed it? They did not sign the death certificate at the moment of expiration. They signed the death certificate at the moment of crucifixion. So when he says, consider yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, what he's saying, he said, no, 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 there's the residue of your old self there. But Jesus has already signed the death certificate. And it is rendered powerless through the power of the cross. So then Paul is not contradicting himself when he says put on and put off. He's just saying, look, you need to understand that it has been rendered powerless. The death certificate has already been signed. You need to live like you're not held in bondage to that old nature. Dead man walking. And so he says, our identity has to do with the rendering ourselves dead to the evils of this world. You have died. Um, Secondly, he says, we're hidden. Hidden, that implies concealment and, and safety. But He hides us. We're His. We're also destined for glory. That's what verse four is all about. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Crawford, you need to live like that. You need to live this way. You, you, you're dead. You're concealed. You're hidden. My identity says that <laughs> I'm destined for glory. That's the way you need to think. That's the way you need to think. Too many Christians are locked into this struggle mentality. And we don't think this way. Again, this is not, this is not, this is not locker room talk. This is not motivational speech here. This is reality. This is who we are in Him. We are with Him right now. We're seated together with Him right now. And He says, based upon that, what do we need to reject? Because of this is your reality, now what do I need to reject?
1: And we'll find what to reject in our next broadcast of Living a Legacy. That was Crawford Lorentz, our weekly Bible teacher. We're working our way through a series in Colossians called His Church, and we're learning from the Apostle Paul what it means to be free in Christ, to have a proper motivation in living out our faith, and to choose correctly when it comes to the grace of God. The second half of this message, our choice, next time right here. It's wonderful to hear how God is using Crawford's teaching each week. And here's an email from Randy who says, The recent series on Colossians is fascinating. I'm amazed at all the roles and positions that Jesus fulfills as the head of the church. Thanks so much, Crawford, and Living a Legacy. And here's one from Diane. Just wanted to thank you, Pastor Loritz, for Living a Legacy. I've known Jesus for almost 45 years, and Jesus is using you to help me learn more about him. Thanks again. Well, Randy and Diane, that's so good to hear, and thanks for taking the time to email. Now, how about you? If you're finding Crawford's message is helpful, let us know at legacy at moody.edu. Legacy at If you missed out on part of today's message, you can stream it all on our website. Go to livingalegacy.org and look for the link past programs, livingalegacy.org. You can also download many of Crawford's messages for free, livingalegacy.org. For Crawford Loritz, I'm Bill Davis. Thanks for joining us today. This program is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.